Welcome to Insight DeFi Podcast. We bring you insights from inside the world of Bitcoin, DeFi, and crypto. Buckle up and get ready to fly to the moon. That's report of feels good. T-minus 25 seconds. But why some say the moon? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? T-minus 15 seconds. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Ignition sequence starts. Three, two, one. Welcome to Inside DeFi Podcast. We're here in Mexico City. I'm Daniel. This is Pascal. Uh, this week we had the special opportunity to meet with Jose Rodriguez. And uh, you met him over Twitter. So yeah. tell us something about Jose, who he is, and why yes, he's important exactly. here in Mexico. Well, I mean, I got introduced to him from a friend of mine, you know, who told me, look, uh, Jose Rodriguez, he's like the guy you have to meet here in Mexico mm-hmm. when it comes to Bitcoin. He's kind of like the founder of the whole Bitcoin space over here, you know, and that's why we reached out to him over Twitter. And uh, yeah, it was very nice. We talked to him about Bitcoin, Bitcoin's role in Mexico, and just how he got to Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. it was actually at a very special place, right, Daniel? Yeah, we actually got to talk to Jose at the Bitcoin Embassy here in Mexico City. Uh, that's where Bitcoiners meet over beer and pizza. Uh, you'll hear it. it. It's raw. It's loud in there. There even was a trumpet player, but not even this guy could stop us from interviewing Jose. It's yeah, a little bit like Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, you can't stop it. So, um, yeah, let's head right to the interview and see what Jose has to say. Yeah, Jose, thank you very much for, for taking the time. To thank you this interview i mean uh we haven't known you before because we just got to mexico and we were asking around like uh, who would be the person to interview who knows the bitcoin scene in mexico the best and then you were introduced uh, to us as the founder you know and of the bitcoin scene in in mexico by gabriela belden you know and so oh. i thought I, I need to reach out to you but maybe you can quickly explain to our audience who you are and yeah maybe also your personal bitcoin story which is always yeah. interesting so right now I would say that I'm, uh, st- well, still a, a Bitcoin enthusiast and a Bitcoin entrepreneur, investor, and uh, and educator, and also uh, building community. So this is my tenth year now in Bitcoin. So I'm one of the first people here in Mexico. I mean, I know other few people that were at the time when I was. Uh, some interesting people also here in Mexico. But well, there wasn't much when I started over there um, back uh, 10 years ago. And I come from a financial background. I worked for 15 years in stockbrokers from Mexico and US. And there I also handled much of the uh, systems, liquidation, payments, uh, depository uh, uh, trust companies, for example, around the world. Uh, from Europe, Latin America, Africa, United States, Canada. So I pretty much have used most of the financial systems and their actual back office of most of the systems that move trillions of dollars behind the scenes each day. So there I have, I've had the opportunity of, of moving billions of dollars from countries from Mexico, South Africa, Canada, uh, Colombia, Chile, Peru, almost like many of the of the largest uh, 
stock exchanges and markets, Euroclear, uh, Clearstream, which are the, the, the DTCs of the depository trust companies in, in Europe. And well, there I did a career for 15 years in, in uh, stock brokers. That was my passion. I really liked it. Uh, before that, um, I had uh, briefly studied uh, applied mathematics and computing. I didn't uh, finish that career. Then I, I went to uh, banking and financial markets. And then I completely quit uh, school and I dedicated to working. And I, I, honestly, that's where I learned much of what I know. I started working very early in stockbrokers. Um, and well, for me, it was also fascinating, like uh, trying to find out all the different financial products. At the time, there wasn't access to much. There were only stocks and bonds. So when I started knowing about uh, financial markets, what I did is trying to find which one were the best, the most efficient, and, and with the best rates, for example. And then I started looking to different products. Then uh, ETFs came, and there were like the hot product, the new product, and the one that all portfolios wanted. And, and, and for, for me, it was one of the biggest innovations that there was at financial markets at the time. And actually, still one of the biggest uh, asset managers of the world are ETFs. Uh, they're they're one of uh, in every holding of every portfolio of every uh, investment fund of, of every uh, retirement fund. There's a basket of ETFs normally, uh, and uh, then I started a strange career in uh, the part of um, intelligence, security, and. Uh, uh, and investigation services for one of the biggest banks in the world. So, I mean, in, in the years that I was in, in stockbrokers, those 15 years, I learned like everything that you need to know to operate one, which is considered the back, middle, and the front office. And for that back, middle, front office, I did everything, no? from handling clients, handling back offices, handling treasuries, uh, doing trading, etc. But uh, I also learned how the actual systems and how the flows work, and I started suddenly uh, looking into strange things that were happening at systems in the bank. And it turned out after some months of investigating independently by myself, I had no prior experience on that, but I had prior experience at uh, knowing how, how financial markets and also systems work, and I started seeing some strange things in the system. I found one of the biggest frauds that happened to that financial institution in Mexico. So there I started my other career. I was at the same time uh, working for the sub broker, but also working for this great investigation services and working with former FBI agents, DEA agents, uh, investigating police from Mexico and the United States, internal audit, etc. And I became a specialist also in financial crimes. Uh, from, from uh, uh, financial institutions. So I did a career there for almost seven years. Most of those time it was involuntary because once you get involved into um, uh, financial uh, crime or any type of crime, you're bounded to it until it's closed. So doesn't matter how many years can pass, they can still ask you to go and do a confrontation with the criminals or, or uh, point out something or just to um, confirm your your statement etc so there were there were some cases that were open for like four or five years although we had all the evidence etc so afterwards because of all that I knew how the I was one of the few that know how the stockbroker worked from top to bottom and I also started looking into stuff that auditors Mexican Central Bank 
uh, regulators never saw. And then a bomb exploded. One of those bombs was the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, financial fraud in Mexican history. It's called Oceanografia. That was a fraud done to Citigroup for $400 million. And at the time, uh, that happened not because it was an independent incident, but because there was a long web of corruption, corrupted officers, corrupted officials, corrupted employees, yeah. and uh, in information that was being intercepted and not reported to global institutions and uh, manipulated information to various uh, regulators. I was really disappointed about the financial system. I was really disappointed about uh, how they try to cover everything up so they, the, they, they'll try to make the problem as little as possible. Well, governments even worse. Banks are bad, but they'll pay and they'll bring, and they'll try to close the case if it's something with government. No one will go to jail and there will be no consequences. At, at least on banks, although they're also very dirty, they will close the case. Um, so uh, at the time I learned a lot. I learned about, I mean, other, other stuff like confronting criminals, being in a criminal case, doing forensic accounting, uh, trying to um, map out how crimes were done, then crimes are not like an individual crime, then they get involved into other crimes like money laundering, uh, like uh, moving money internationally, uh, organized crime. So then you start pulling and then you start seeing and then when I saw it was a complete sewer and I wanted, I, I, I wanted to quit that job uh, but on the other side I had a very good career. And at the time uh, a friend had already told me about Bitcoin this was early 2011, 2012. Bitcoin started 2009. At the time, there wasn't any of the companies that we know today. Actually, there wasn't any like friendly user interface. Like you saw computers, you saw screens, and you had to imagine like how that would be and the interaction. There was some exchanges at the time. I mean, not exchanges like we know today, but people posting inside those uh, forums, for example, and putting messages. One of them, for example, was Linden Dollar in Second Life. So that was one of the first exchanges that they had against uh, Bitcoin. When, and before local Bitcoins, you would use, for example, forums or look for people or meetups that people that wanted this strange thing called Bitcoin. But well, there wasn't the companies that we know today. Uh, afterwards, uh, I continued investigating, reading, but there wasn't many docu documentation besides uh, forums like Let's Talk Bitcoin. And uh, what I started to do also was uh, reaching out to international community. So one of the biggest communities that I saw, not only in Latin America, but in, in the world was Argentina. So I started contacting uh, Argentinian community. And they already had, for example, a Facebook group with over 8,000 people uh, in, in 2012. Uh, so in 2013, I contacted them and say, I, I want to go to your country. I want to know what is going on. I, 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 I started some groups in Facebook. I started like online, reaching to people. Then local Bitcoin started. Um, and I started buying Bitcoins through local Bitcoins and also messaging the people that were selling Bitcoin. I'm like, hey, what's your interest? Like, uh, would you like to meet? And just reaching out to people. The switch that you did, you know, from, from the old system to or the, the system that you described.
described now to Bitcoin, you know, was it really like because you were dis disappointed with the old system and you believed that the new one could be a better no. one? Or, or what, how, what's this decision? My, my career change was because I was disappointed of the actual system and I was looking for a, another an, another okay. thing. That, that, was, that was with my career change. But at the beginning, 2011, 2012, like, I was also a skeptic. Like, I knew that it worked, but I saw it still as uh, video game money. I, I, I used to love and play when I was a teenager MMORPGs like Ultima Online. That was like the first world that I played RPG that you could meet with other people and talk. And for me, it was amazing. And I saw it like Second Life, like uh, Ultima Online, like all this uh, money. But I still didn't understand how the emission, like all the, all the things under the hood that you look at it when you look at it as a financial system. Most people just see Bitcoin as a price and as an asset. But it's an actual financial and information system in which you can also build technology and integrate uh, not only uh, financial and uh, optimized uh, financial transactions and financial input, but also uh, interconnected to other systems and make companies work like an exchange. An exchange is an integration of various uh, developments and also uh, some interactions that you have with the actual uh, blockchain wallets and, and authorities and private keys, etc. No, so it's a, it's an integration of, of all of that. Uh, so in in 2012, like I was uh, getting convinced that this was the the, not the future, but th this had a lot of potential. At the time, I mean, uh, Bitcoin was only like a few dollars. It was just starting. Uh, some big companies were just starting like Coinbase, BitPhoenix that we know right now. There have been hundreds in the way that have died also. Like many people know the success stories, but actually most companies like in every industry have died in the way, got hacked, uh, lots of stuff. Uh, so in it, it was actually in 2013 that I got convinced that this had a future and that I should start uh, to dedicate more time and resources and started investing in that. So most of the money, like my bonuses, like everything that I had, I started to invest and to become an entrepreneur yeah, in this. Yeah. And your motivation, why? Like, was it then really that you was convinced of Bitcoin, the technology, or maybe make Bitcoin? the money or, or what was it actually you know or is it also for ideological reason or purely like you know it's just technologically fascinating they, I, I i had the opportunity unfortunately to see many of the failures of the system that many people don't see including regulator government uh, international institutions that are supposedly very trustworthy but at the end they're only like doing a checkbox that they're doing their job they're not doing their job well yeah. uh but uh, uh, for me, it, it was at the beginning, like I saw how complicated it was to move money internationally, especially in Mexico and Latin America. It's so hard even to get uh, an account in US dollars. Now imagine moving internationally uh, securities. It's almost impossible. You need to have someone in the States and a team and in various countries to move that money. So first I saw that it was very, very inefficient and they move trillions of dollars and they need to be settled intraday. And so first I saw that, yeah, Bitcoin started working as a money at the time, but it wasn't really like a big network like right now. It was small dudes like paying each other internationally and sending messages and etc. But I saw what we're seeing right now that this was gonna be a financial and information system in which you could uh, exchange assets 
and represent assets. Something like what is going on right now with Ethereum and decentralized finance and the representation. I mean, and Bitcoin right now is really working as money. So for me, it was uh, looking into a technology that was going to become a better financial system, a better communication system, and a better settlement system. Okay. And you see this future for Bitcoin now that you like talk, usually hear people, well, Bitcoin is just the money and Ethereum is then the financial system because it's programmable and so, but you would argue, you know, Bitcoin itself can become not just money, but a financial system to trade assets and, and all these kinds of things. Bitcoin is a technology. I mean, many people think it's a coin, it's a currency, it's an asset, but it's actually a technology that has been updated uh, sometimes during, like the Bitcoin right now is not the Bitcoin that I knew at the beginning. Uh, there have been some updates. Uh, creating these updates in, in the Bitcoin uh, system is in DC. This is why this all these forks happen that we know right now. Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SB, etc. All these different, well, most of the Bitcoin forks are just like a cheap way to try to get easy money, honestly. Just using the name and branding on Bitcoin and adding something, there's over a hundred forks. Most of them are actually worthless and will never go anywhere. There were some few competitors like uh, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SB that tried to do it and invest it, but also their their, their system and their network is, is worthless. And, and if three, four, five people don't invest, they will, they will die. And you can clone everything about the technology, technology-wise, like, um, um, but you cannot replicate the network the integrations, the community. That is the network effect that has created right now that is gonna make it almost impossible for Bitcoin to go away. When I started, it was hard for it to go away, but it was problem for it to go away. Kill the miners, uh, ban it, uh, pr prosecute people, uh, threaten them, and network will start to do it. Now you do this and people will try to find an exit for it. And now it's not like something that you need to hide away and see what's going on. Like you can simply go and tell people like, come on, like this is accepted almost in many places. Let's go. <laughs> now they're playing the flute for us. It seems like in, in um, 2012 or 13, you, you started realizing the potential that Bitcoin has. But now I see you have a pin where it says Bitcoin is saving the world. So when did that switch happen for you when you started realizing that Bitcoin could really start changing like the foundation of uh -huh. the financial system that we have today? Well, as a financial system, I would say like my first disappointment for me came when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And Mexico and Latin American coins get a huge devaluation. Mm -hmm. Like, if you see most of the Latin American uh, currencies, they've lost like 90 to 99% of their value the last 30 years against the dollar. Crazy. Now, yeah. add inflation and the loss of, loss of value of and Mexican peso, Argentinian peso, Venezuelan Bolivar, and most of the Latin American coins are worthless if you invest in that. And I saw that happening when I was uh, a kid. That was the first time that I wanted to, to see like what is money and what is happening, why these things happen. And, and the other side that I saw, if someone is losing 90% uh, of their money, someone else must be making money right. on the other right. side. No, So that's how I started uh, with money. And that's also when I started seeing that uh, fiat system is actually like, when you start studying and seeing how the actual financial system works, 
it's all fake. Like, you can invent money. I could invent, invent money in the system. There were some days that, oh, the invented money didn't come back. Okay, so we're just going to overdraft. Okay, just tell the bank. Okay, the bank says, like, okay, you're my buddy. I'm going to charge you almost zero. So mm -hmm. you're just moving around all this fake invented money. Mm -hmm. And that is only the ones that banks and central bank create. Mm -hmm. Now, if you add the frauds, the trillions of dollars in frauds are done every year. So there's trillions of dollars of fake money running around one of the money that we know. Then you start finding out that money has actual nothing to back it, nothing like, you can go, like you're seeing right now in the United States, like you can go and print $30 trillion, no problem. Like you can do that in any government, you can do it in any bank. And then you look at the bank, you look, you look at the regulations that they have, and it's ridiculous, like Basel III and all these stupid things that they have. They only need to have 10% of the money and they can create 10 times as much. What does that mean? That if I put a million dollars in the bank, the bank can create 100 million or 10 million. Yeah. And there's countries in which they need 0% reserve. So you can do infinite money if you have anything. So what, what, what the hell is going on with, with those systems of money? So that's why I started uh, also saving nothing in actual fiat. And then I, I turned to ETFs and stocks. But then you start seeing that there are also some faults over there, manipulation, and they also have these markets that still work like 100 years ago in which you only can operate from 8.30 to 3 in the, in the afternoon, Monday to Friday. And guess what? If there's, if there's uh, a holiday in the United States, then we're going to freeze all over the world. If there's a local holiday, we're going to freeze. So out of 365 days, you're only operating less than 200. Mm, yeah. And you're restricting trillions of dollars of people and, and moving that uh, money and system that work? Come on. Yeah. System is obsolete. It's bad. Regulators, central banks are dinosaurs that do a lot of harm to the financial system. When, when, I, when I have debates with, with central bankers, especially here, I tell them, like, no, you're not in favor of the country, you're not in favor of the people. Because if you were, you were looking to have the best system and the best options for them to perpetuate your power and perpetuate your observancy and perpetuate being the one that has the hold of the money and the control. You're yeah. not interested in that. You were interested really in that. Like, come on, you should be in jail. Like, you've lost 99% of the people's money in the last 20, 30 years. You, you, like, you shouldn't be having like a pension of $10,000, $20,000 per month. You should be saying how you pay back to all the citizens. Yeah. And that's in Mexico, yeah. at Argentina and Venezuela and all these cases yeah, that have right? happened. Come on, yeah. you, your system is, your, your system is, is a flaw, it fails, it's corrupt, it's full of fraud, and, it's, and, and that's on the bad way. And the good way, it's very inefficient. It's, it's, it's very bad. Like, you need to move money right now internationally, you do it with Bitcoin. There's yeah. nothing that option, like, I, I, I challenge any banker in the world in one day to move, to move money any weekend to more than two countries, and they're not going to be able, even if they're the owners of the bank. If you do it with Bitcoin, it's not going to be two countries. It's going to be 20. Yeah. yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, I totally see your, your technological point that you now just described, and also, you know, the point about money devaluation. Maybe to play devil's advocate a little, you know, how, when it comes to the fraud and the corruption and everything you described, why should a Bitcoin-based system be better? Because after all, I mean, it's also operated by humans, or do you see any, like, fundamental difference, you know, that these things could probably not as easily happen, you know? Operated by human, yes and no. Bitcoin has the, its rules done, many of them, until the end of time. 
Uh, one of them is a distribution, which is actually done till approximately the year 2104. And, all, and that's one of the most important because you have the certainty of the emission and the total number of, of bitcoins that you're gonna have. Operated by humans that it lets you interact with their ledger and lets you create a wallet in the system. And if you're the owner of the private keys, you can move that ledger to another wallet. But that's the only uh, interaction that you can do. You cannot do all, like if you were in a bank, you would deposit one Bitcoin and you would withdraw 10 Bitcoins, fake Bitcoins. And then you have your fake ledger moving it around. Yeah. Same with central banks. And, and then you have all these magical frauds that you also have, like debt and debt from the government and municipal government and federal government mm -hmm. and government companies and blah, blah, And then you put the bill to, to the people. And then you have this other magical that, okay, we're already making you broke, but uh, we, you, if you are an employee of the state, you're always gonna have a raise above of inflation. So everyone, in corrupt and inefficient and politically, I would say like uh, more socialists are uh, focused into that, but it's not exclusive socialists. There are non-socialist and semi-capitalist countries that also do the same corrupt um, systems. So if, if, if you take all of them and, and mount it over, you, you're gonna see like, well, this is not as safe and as secure as they say. Like, you can manipulate all of this. In Bitcoin, you cannot do it. You cannot edit one single transaction. There isn't one single fake Bitcoin in the system. The only fake Bitcoins that you know is because an exchange did it on their ledger, or a bank, or a central bank, or a financial institution, or a fraudster. Mm -hmm. And if you receive a Bitcoin that's not in the ledger, I mean, it's also part of your fault. I mean, yeah. you, you're, it might be ignorance, might be greed, but also like if it's not in the ledger, it's not yours. That's also like if you have uh, money in the bank, it's not your money. It's a bank's money. The bank owes it to you. And there's different laws in the world in which if a bank goes broke, they're gonna take your money. Yeah. In Mexico and in most countries, they have this protection in which up to this amount, you're protected. Anything above that becomes automatically capital yeah. of the, the bank. The, the bank. Yeah, exactly. And if you have it in between, if you're lucky, we're gonna start paying you yeah. as, as we can. Mm -hmm. And and you, you have all this government protection. So, so come on, if a, if a bank goes bankrupt, etc., you're dead. The same thing in an exchange. If it gets yeah. hacked, whatever, unless it has an insurance, that insurance are something really recent, yeah. you're done. You're dead. Yeah. Like, Money is gone, company's bankrupt, and your money's gone. So always, if you really want uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and everything like in the long run, have, uh, you have to do it in your own wallets, and you have to have, yeah, and you need to have uh, best practices to keep them. Yeah, it is not an easy thing, and that's what we were wondering also, you know, because in Europe and in America, usually here, Bitcoin is going bank to bank and everything, and especially in countries like Mexico, where there are like a lot of poor people, you know, and these are the ones that get hurt most by these central banking and stuff, you know. So how is it here in Mexico, you know? How can, like, is it really the young banks who can get Bitcoin? Yeah, how, is, how, how is Bitcoin changing Mexico? Yeah. Is it I, I, I think... Uh, that is a lot of marketing for fintech and Bitcoin companies just to raise funds. Like, yeah, I care about Latin America or poor countries and I'm going to go and keep them. 
if you actually want to do something, you have to do what uh, El Salvador is doing. You need to do what uh, Max and Stacy Herbert are doing. Uh, I, they are people that I really appreciate uh, more than uh, just uh, being in Bitcoin space, etc. I've had the opportunity of knowing them for the last seven years and become friends, do some investments also with them and through them and become partners. They even invested in, 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 in Bitso because, well, I was a part of there, etc. Yeah. And that's something that I really appreciate about them and certain people. I mean, other people that I appreciate that are, for example, Roger Ver that afterwards became like the billion with, with uh, Bitcoin Cash. But he was one of the few people, uh, Roger Ver, Max Geiser, Stacy Herbert, uh, Tom Vase, that weren't just only blah, 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 blah. They went to the countries and saw what's happening. They saw that it wasn't as easy and just open a Bitcoin account. Like There's other uh, infrastructure problems that you have that even if you give them the, 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 the tools and the education problems, they won't be able to use it efficiently. Yeah. So that is when you really make a change. Not speaking and saying banty and bank. But start investing in companies, startups, countries, people that will actually create and make that pathway uh, done. And are there any concrete examples in Mexico when you say, you know, you first have to understand the problem that it's not as easy, but then how can you, is there like ATMs or, you know, is there a way for people to take cash and, and Mexican pesos and buy Bitcoin with it or, you know, that really the, the, the the guy from the street can, yeah. can be invested as well. Uh, one, one, one way is having this up ramps and up ramps and these rails to make the people go in. One of them are the ATMs, the Bitcoin ATMs, which you can put cash and, and withdraw the Bitcoins. That's, that's a part, but you need to physically go there, do the operation transaction. One of the most efficient up to date is uh, exchanges. I mean, that, that is uh, the way that in different countries like Mexico, you have been able to make a lot of people uh, on board and a lot of people uh, have access to it. But it wasn't an, an easy road. Like, uh, I mean, it, everyone speaks right now of all the exchanges that have millions of users, of, of love, but they have been working five, seven, 10 years yeah. to create that and to create that off ramps and, and, and doing the run. So, one of them is, is creating simple options. Like one, one of the things that uh, Bitso did very good, for example, in Mexico and other exchanges in other countries that have been able to, to grow a lot is uh, doing a very simple integration to, for you to transfer from your bank. Or for example, here in Mexico, they have all these convenience stores. That is one of the biggest uh, chains uh, that you have here in which you can deposit up to $250. So that is also a good way to have uh, this access. The other is actually giving it utility. Like, yeah. okay, you have this thing. Right now, it has become popular because many people it has been their first investment uh, experience. Mm -hmm. So, in Mexico, for example, only half a million people have uh, a stockbroker account. That's less than 0.44% of the population. So that means that 99.6% of the population has never invested. In, yeah. in a stock broker. In US, you have numbers that go up to like 40, 50%. Yeah, okay. That's exactly my, my point. Is this gonna change with Bitcoin, you know? It has changed. Uh, for example, in, in Mexico, Bitso is the biggest exchange and it has already 2 million users. Oh. That's four times all the stock brokers together. Oh. That is, that would put them 
in the top five of, of banks, if they were a bank with most accounts. So besides the, the biggest banks, Citi that bought Banamex and BBVA that bought Bancomer and the other two uh, big banks uh, from abroad, uh, Santander and Scotiabank, most of them don't even have a million users, the rest. Here in Mexico. Yes. And you're seeing that being replicated in other countries, like uh, uh, crypto exchanges, Bitcoin exchanges, having more accounts than banks. Wow, crazy, yeah. Brazil, in Argentina, yeah. Colombia. Yeah. So, it, so these exchanges are actually changing people's investment behavior. Yes. Yeah. Which is the access, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, it's 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 so funny. Like I've I've been in investments for twenty years, mm -hmm. and I had this debate with uh, stockbrokers and the actual stock exchange that I told them that uh, Bitcoin was generating the biggest uh, generation of traders, and the, and of course they're like, no, it's us, and we're doing this, yeah. and blah 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 blah. And like, okay, yeah. fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, like yeah. these are millions. Right. And and you can invest two dollars, three dollars. You don't have to go to your stockbroker and, and tell, oh yeah, you need to have a minimum of two point five million dollars and <laughs> sign all this paperwork, and then let's see if I have time to receive your papers because I have to go to dinner with other rich clients, and you're rich but not rich enough. Yeah, yeah. That's like, come on. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well. Maybe one last thing that I would like to ask is, you know, you have traveled so many Latin American countries and, and, and you spoke of this and you also mentioned El Salvador. So the case uh, I'm asking myself, is this really like a unique case in Latin America or could you, are you a believer of this domino effect that El Salvador could have created, you know, and a country like Mexico could so do something similarly or? I think it's similar? not a unique case for Latin America, but it's a unique case for the world. It's the only country I mean, Bitcoin's been now for over 10 years, and it's the first country to do that. Mm. There have been some companies, and there have been some flirting with central banks and with treasuries, etc. but no one to adopt it like it. And also, uh, there is other things that are uh, taking place, no? Um, President Nayib Bukele is isn't only uh, very popular in El Salvador, but he has a majority in Congress. So that also allows uh, you to make some changes, and some changes like they've made in the in the constitution. Uh, the the other is that uh, they're one of the poorest countries and smallest countries, in not only in Latin America but in the world, and uh, they have seen how uh, everything that uh, IMF and World Bank and international banks tell you to do can fail and will fail and have failed. So they decided to take a risk. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's yeah, it's a risk because of the volatility of Bitcoin, of course, because they have committed $150 million to be the counterparty in the country for everyone that wants to settle a, a Bitcoin transaction. I don't think uh, many other governments uh, will have the funds or will have the, the, yeah, the, the risk of doing that, and, and that's a small country, like try to do it in the United States and you would double your debt no? to, to try to settle all, all, all the settlements. So on, on the other side, he's a young president. He's about my age. Yeah. Uh, he, he has been looking into the technology and he has also seen 
as uh, marketing, as investment, as a strategy, that doing this and trying to do it uh, in the best way possible has also attracted a lot of investors, a lot of companies, and a lot of people that would have never traveled to Latin America or El Salvador in their life, and now they're being established over there. And that is also something uh, very important because if they continue doing uh, friendly regulations, welcoming investors, uh, putting the people's money of the uh, Bitcoin holders and investors to work like they're doing with their bonds, and they do things well, uh, I, I, I think that it will be a huge snowball that will go for them to become uh, like, well, right now they're one of the biggest growing economies in the region and in the world. But if they continue, that's not going to be just because it's a rebound, but because there's a big trend for companies to invest and to go over there and they're being welcoming. While other countries like uh, Argentina or Venezuela harassed a lot with, with taxes, uh, Mexico harassed a lot with, with regulation and observancy. Mm -hmm. And well, in the US, you can even go to jail if you do something that they don't like. Yeah. They're being very open and welcome to the companies to uh, make a path for them to comply, to regulate, to report, to prevent everything that is wrong with the system, which is organized crime, political corruption, um, uh, fraud, etc., to try to prevent and document before it happens. And on the other side, opening the door for all of these companies. So there are companies that have told me, I mean, I, I have been nine times in the last year to El Salvador yeah. right now. Um, I've, I've had the opportunity to talk with a lot of uh, ministers, a lot of uh, congressmen, congresswomen over there. And since the beginning, they have been uh, very open and we have done some, some stuff, some events, some business, some things. Uh, which has been also interesting and how uh, and their openness and their willingness to do business. A lot of people and, and a lot of big investments investors have told me Mexico there was a fintech there is a fintech law which is on the drawer unfortunately but there is a fintech law since 2018. Mm -hmm. But there aren't many licenses and there aren't many companies and investors have told me we were willing as we are right now in El Salvador establishing companies and investing and bringing our people, and bringing more investors, we were gonna do this in Mexico in 2018. Suddenly, everything changed. Mexico is not welcoming as it should be with crypto and fintech companies. Right now, there have been more, uh, there, there have been more fees than licenses. Come on, give the licenses and make this work. But on the other side, because there was a government change in the in the in the in the middle, and also a, a policy change, etc. They're losing this huge opportunity. FinTech, Bitcoin, blockchain is one of the biggest and best paid industries and fastest growing in the history of humanity right now. People that work from Mexico, from El Salvador, from Latin America in Bitcoin and blockchain companies right now are earning more than they would do any time in their lifetime and probably in, in their local countries. Yeah. So one of them is jobs that are being created from abroad, but the other is investment that is coming. Yeah. There's gonna be a lot of countries that are gonna be in El Salvador that are not gonna be in Brazil, that are not gonna yeah. be in Argentina, that are yeah. not gonna be in Mexico. I mean, 
could the, the Bitcoin bond, you know, that was announced and that should be like ready in a couple of weeks or months, you know, could that also be like a turning point for country when they see it's a huge success because it gets oversubscribed that then others say, I mean, it's money for us, we want to get it too. You know? Yeah, I, I have the opportunity of, of being when the president announced that in, in the event. I, uh, well, besides all the stuff that I, I've done, I helped, uh, I have my own event called Talentland, but I also uh, help La Bitcom, the Latin American Bitcoin Conference. It's a conference that you haven't gone, it, you have to go. It's done in a different Latin American country since 2013. In 2015, we did it here in Mexico City. And so I have helped those guys because they have been very cool and they were the first Argentinians that I met, uh, Rodo, Diego, Franco in, in, in Argentina. And we, we did the, the, the event uh, last year uh, in El Salvador and uh, it was like amazing, like all the things that you can uh, help come create, educate and, and put all those uh, stones and build it. And if you have already seen the bad path in all of our countries, Argentina, Venezuela, Mexico, Colombia, and all the bad stuff that already happened. And, and, and you try to avoid that. And you also are welcoming all these people that want to create a better financial system and a better version of money. Like, I, I, I don't see how that is not gonna become in, in the next years, one of the most successful countries in the, in, at least in this century. And, and uh, if, if they continue with that path that they are doing it, the last meetings that I have with uh, regulators and, and with uh, ministers was about a month ago, and they're even making it simpler for companies to invest and, and, and simplifying bureaucracy and simplifying paperwork and simplifying investment and also the promise that they have that this investment will get you a citizenship and the bond, going back to the bond, that was announced at the event of uh, $1 billion that, well, going back to the Bitcoin, uh, they invited us to the event and, and we were lucky to be there in, in, in first row. And well, it was being announced, but well, that's gonna be $1, uh, uh, $1 billion, mm -hmm. uh, $1,000 million that is gonna be uh, done by Blockstream and Bitfinex. It's gonna be a bond that is uh, every one of their coupons is gonna be worth $100. And uh, they're going to pay an interest rate that is going to be, I think, if I remember well, between 4 and 6%. Uh, it's going to be a bond that it's going to go for 10 years. And five years, you're going to be able to redeem it. The objective for that is uh, part to uh, fund locally the country and infrastructure. The other is to fund this, what is called uh, Bitcoin City and their infrastructure. So now, and then that's one of the other... Uh, mid-term, long-term good bets that can make the country very good because when they actually accomplish that, when they build it and when they have it, they're gonna have a tax-free zone for Bitcoin. Yeah, so uh, everything that you pay uh, over there as an investment, everything that you have uh, as, they're, they're gonna have zero, zero percent in investment, in real estate, in, uh, in, um, Payroll, uh, the only tax that you're gonna pay if you buy something inside a Bitcoin city is gonna be value added tax. That's gonna be the only tax that you're gonna have. So that if, if, if that becomes a huge success and plans go as they want, and they also can find 
uh, continuity in their government because also that takes into place. Like Mexico, it was unfortunate. They didn't kill it, but FinTech Law went to the drawer. Uh, opposition came, they will try to kick it back, not because it's a bad idea, but it's because of the other part. Yeah, because exactly. that's how politicians work. Yeah, exactly. So that is one of the risks that could happen. I don't see that happening because uh, popularity, economy, and everything that's going on has been very positive and I, I, I expect it to be. Like something very tragic would have to happen in the next one or two years for that to change uh, lanes. But from what I see, it's going to be continuing uh, being a success. It's going to continue attracting people. Every time I go there, there's lots of people that I haven't seen in years that right now I'm meeting over there <laughs> in El Salvador, <laughs> that they're very interested. Yeah. So if you have this small country with this small GDP and which more are poor, and you're having all these big companies with good wages, investing, and bringing in money, and spending, this population should also get... Uh, not only benefit, but uh, breath with them, that is something that is happening because they're also hiring local Salvadorian people. Well, I mean, very interesting. Would you have anything to add, Daniel? Or? Um, no, I think we have to let you go. <laughs> you have your next meeting, yeah. but maybe you want to say something to your book? Yeah, yeah. Real so, quick. Um, yeah. Well, so some of the startups that I have has to do with NFTs and metaverses, and this is the best seller in marketing around the world. And they invited me in the Spanish version to write the, the chapter about NFTs, metaverses, and blockchain. This is with one of the startups that I have, that it's called Museo del Caos, that it's a gallery, NFT uh, metaverses. We also uh, onboard and help uh, artists and brands to come into this world, and we have done a lot of events. On the other side, I run some events, and we have done uh, various uh, online events. We did La Big Conf over there, some interactive experiences, etc. And well, uh, I mean, it, it's also something that I bet on and invested early on uh, in NFTs and in in, in uh, metaverse lands that I had for the future. The future has now come, and two years ago I started as a hobby, and a year ago I made it into a company. Uh, right now we have over uh, 10 people working in the project and uh, over 10,000 visits in the metaverse, over uh, 100 NFTs minted, thousands distributed. So, well, that's one of the adventures and they invited me to write into this book. It's currently a bestseller uh, here in Mexico and in, and in Spanish. And it talks a little bit of how, how the uh, NFT and metaverse world is and how they have evolved, who is getting involved as uh, how to get like how this is beginning to take yeah. off and well very excited besides that I also run the talent land and I also run blockchain land we are the biggest event in Spanish in Latin America we had uh, 62,000 people attend in 2019 and online we have had from 60,000 to 3.9 million people online so it's a massive event and that's uh, an event, it's a non-for-profit with the objective of educating uh, people and new generations. And well, there I run the blockchain space and right now, well, traveling and seeing how we, I can help develop and do communities like I did here in Mexico some years ago. And very happy 
uh, traveling around, uh, listening at projects, investing, and also uh, bringing people into my projects and having fun. And right now, it's very different from when I started. There's so yeah. many people interesting. There's so much information. So many people come in. Of course, there's always going to be uh, opportunists and people that just want to do a quick buck. It's it's part of that, and it's part of, of, of all this uh, volatility and, and, and yeah. perception that sometimes people just come in, put money somewhere, and become millionaires. Yeah. It can happen. It has happened. But it's it's also like winning the lottery. No, not more often than, than winning the, <laughs> the lottery. But, well, there is a lot of opportunity of still of growth. Like, yeah. it's a first country. Yeah, sure. It's a small country. Yeah, exactly. Uh, NFTs also, uh, I see them doing it every brand in the world any community any person any celebrity like we're seeing right now yeah, yeah i think you just opened up a new chapter with this <laughs> maybe we need to have a follow-up okay in the metaverse but, yeah. but is it also available in english yes it's uh, well in english it's also available but it doesn't have the chapter and my welcome oh, letter okay. I, i'm gonna send you guys a link so Anyone that orders that from there, I can send, well, inside here in Mexico, assign one, or maybe we can do yeah, something sure. to send over. Yeah, cool. uh, the, the book in English, uh, uh, the Philip Kotler part is the same, only the like the chapters is owned by other companies. Okay. And um, when people want to visit you in the metaverse, what metaverse are you in? Are you in Sandbox? Or I'm, I, or? I, I have galleries in the Central Land. I have three galleries over there. And I have uh, three galleries in crypto boxels. Okay. I also have sandbox. I also have many others. So you're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, also in NFTs, I would say I was early since crypto kitties, okay. and also collecting art almost uh, three years now. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we definitely have to do a follow up sometime. Maybe in the metaverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, great. Thank so, you so thank much. You. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation and salute. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by InsightDefi.com. Make sure to follow us so you don't miss the next episode. If you want to support us, rate the show and don't forget to like and subscribe to our social media channels. See you next time.